This morning, we're returning back to the book of Revelation, and um, contemporary knowledge and wisdom in public speaking says that you should have three points to a sermon. This morning, I don't have three points. I have three sermons. <laughs> so, it's... it's um, so Aaron, make sure you hold up that sign for me when the time comes, because, uh, well, we could be here all day if, I, if the spirit moves, right? What, why I have three sermons, because I need to do a little bit of review of last week, because half of you weren't here, no. But no, the reason why I need, I not, no guilt and shame in this church, you know? The reason why I want to do a little bit of review is because I forgot that it was going to be a family service. So we had all the little rugrats running around the building, and I was some of the topics were a little bit heavy. So uh, since it was the new year, and it applies to, to us right now too, uh, Revelation 21, near the end of the book of Revelation. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven and the first earth, they passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In a few weeks, I'll be talking about the New Jerusalem coming out of the sky, like what in the world is going on there. Like we actually have dimensions of this thing, and it's super cool. We will be heading into conspiracy theory stuff on this one. So that's a Sunday you don't want to miss. It's the moon, everybody. No. <laughs> okay, anyway. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people. He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. Just what an incredible snapshot into our future. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and they're true. Write this down. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water to those who thirst from the spring of water of life without cost. The one who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. You could put daughter in there too if you wanted to. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving, the dominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral persons, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all the liars, their parts will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Don't have time to get into that either, but that's fascinating. <laughs> Why is that funny, Landon? Yeah, well, well, again, we'll be here all day trying to explain the second death. Come on. I know. All right. So um, 
So there's the positives. The positives is that we, we have a future where, there, where the Lord was going to wipe away all of our tears where they don't even exist anymore. Where you, won't even, you will never even remember your sorrow. That's an incredible promise. Not only are you going to forget about your sin, you're going to forget about your sorrow and your pain and your loss. I don't know how that works, but it just all goes away. And he gives us the water of life. Now, that is a here and now promise as well. Like it will be in full revelation in the end where we will, like that is what we will drink. We'll drink from that well of life, that spirit of God. But this promise is also here for you now. Like you can drink of this water now. Streams of living water will flow from within you now. And you have a new identity like, our identity is in Christ. We are his sons. We are his daughters. We are not his slaves. We are not his, uh, his minions. We're not his attendants. We are his children, and he is our God. Those are the positives. Now, the negatives, I just wanted to highlight, because this is the stuff I couldn't talk about in front of kids. I made the kids do earmuffs, and you know they, don't, they didn't really do it, right? You know they didn't actually do it. They just, they just kind of like did that, so they, they wanted to hear, but I didn't get, I didn't get too much into it. But uh, cowardly, people that are cowardly, they're timid, they're fearful. This is actually definitions from the Greek, delios, and faithless. It's kind of interesting that... Um, that cowardly and fearful also coincides with faithless. That's a, that's a tough one, right? So if you're dealing with fear, if you're scared, if you're, uh, you know, if you're one of those lions, the Wizard of Oz, if that's you, um, I would say don't work on, on, on being courageous. Work on being faithful. Right? Does that make sense? And here's the amazing thing about faith. You have, all of us have a certain degree of faith. Some of us can take a leap of faith. Some of us can edge in a little more scientific about faith. Some of us, like myself, are a little more subjective. I'm very subjective in my faith. That's why I need to be in the objective word of God. Because if I don't, I'm going to be all over the place. So some of us have different types of an expression of faith. But here's the amazing thing about faith is that it is also a gift. So let's just say that you are fearful and you are cowardly and you're timid and you know that maybe faith is part of the problem. All you need to do is just ask for the gift of faith. That one's fascinating. I didn't even realize there was a gift of faith, but there is. And when it's given, like transformation takes place. And then you develop a courage you've never had before. But if you want to be courageous, faith is the key. The second word that I wanted to look at was abominable or abhorrent. This is... Uh, Ugliness, nastiness, cranky people, 
You know any cranky, ugly, nasty, abominable people? The, the Greek here, I can't pronounce it. I should just make it up and pretend like I know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, Belso, I don't know. In the Greek, it means to stink. So, in order to overcome some of these negative things, we need to get rid of our stinking thinking. Amen. Yeah? yeah? This is rotten attitude, rotten behaviors. Now, it is, it's a bit of an oxymoron for Christians to be grumpy and stinky and griping and complaining about everything. Joy of the Lord is our strength. We are known to the world by how we love and how we treat each other, primarily. That is one reason why the church doesn't do so well. So if you go on Twitter feeds and if you follow church tweet, you know, church algorithms, like I am just blown away about how horrible Christians are to each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like it's just like I wouldn't want to join the club. Like, if I saw that, it's like, why would I want to hang out with those guys? They don't even like each other. So we have to be on guard of these things that will creep in and give us some stinking thinking, okay? So a, a, the abhorrent behavior, abominable behavior. Now, this is the one that fascinated me. Sorcery. Like, we don't want to be dealing with sorcery, right? We, as Christians, if you've been following the Lord for a while, you know that sorcery is, it's evil. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize this at the moment, but I'm actually wearing a Harry Potter sweater at the moment. <laughs> so I, she noticed it. Yeah, so. Now, let me explain. Pastor Josh is not practicing sorcery. I know, I just, it's funny how that works, huh? Okay, sorcery, witchcraft, the occult. Like, these are things that the enemy uses to control, to manipulate, to have power over people. After I graduated from college, I moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I ended up living in a black neighborhood, which I didn't have a problem with it, but I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to do that. That's true. Like, they like, <laughs> it was so true. <laughs> um, <laughs> can I make you laugh some more? Okay, so the white folk, like, like, son, are you living in this neighborhood? I'm like, yeah, why? like, you shouldn't be living in this neighborhood. I'm like, why, why not? Like, because it's not a white neighborhood. I'm like, okay. It's like, do you have a gun? Like, no, I don't have a gun. <laughs> Still don't have a gun, by the way. I have a paintball gun. I don't know, where was I going with that? Oh, sorcery. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, all right, so I know, I know growing up in Southern California, 
you know, you're in the grocery store checkout sign, and there's horse soap stuff everywhere. Uh, as a child, I remember like being attracted to it because of the pictures and stuff like that. And then my mom or dad would let me have it if I tried to touch it or pick it up, right? Which is a good thing. You need to do that with your kids. If your kids are picking up things that are cultish, it's like just like, no, no, we don't do that in our family. I know it looks cool, but we, we don't do it. Because it is soothsaying. It's, it's, you know, anyway. Um, I also know growing up in this area that there were a couple of cult shops, but by and large, it's not real prevalent in our culture. Our town, Claremont, has more cult shops than any other cities combined, which is ironic because this is also one of the most highly educated cities in the nation. Why do we have so many occultic shops? I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, but when I moved into that community, uh, witchcraft was everywhere. Like, superstition was, was all over the place. And not only... <laughs> okay, so the white people didn't know why I was living in a black neighborhood. Um, I actually was living in a church. I converted a church into a museum. And the black people couldn't figure out why this crazy white guy was living in a church where dead bodies were there. Because they have funerals in churches, right? And it was so sweet. The local, I mean, it's sweet, but it's also like, I don't know about this. But the local ladies, the Geechees and the Gullah cultures, they're, they're still tied to witchcraft and voodoo. But they felt so concerned for my well-being because I was living in a place where dead bodies were that they thought that the witches and the hags were going to get me and the spirits. And they would bring me charms to ward off evil spirits. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with this. I threw it away, but I was trying to be respectful to them at the same time because they thought, you know, they thought bad things were going to happen to me because I was sleeping there. But, but yeah, uh, all kinds of superstition was ran in that culture, in that subculture, for the, for the primary purpose of achieving power because these are underprivileged, underpowered people in that community at that time. And so they were grasping for whatever source they could get to give them an edge up. I saw voodoo dolls. I saw all kinds of stuff. Now, it doesn't work. Well, it actually probably does work. That's why we don't want to mess around with it. So it's there. It's real. There's power to it. There's principality to it. Uh, why am I wearing a Harry Potter sweater? Because I like the story and I don't give it any power. And if you read the books, if you read them the same way that you read Lord of the Rings or C.S. Lewis, you will see that Rowling has weaved in the gospel into these stories. So anyway, you can teach your kids about, anyway, if we, can, we can agree to disagree, but I don't know. Lord of the Rings has wizards in it too. All right, all right, moving on. So sorcery, we all could agree that we probably shouldn't play around with witchcraft and sorcery. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Now, I want to look closer at this Greek word for sorcery in Revelation. It is the word pharmakos. What does that sound like? Pharmacy. Now, I am not saying to quit taking your medication. Amen. I am not saying to quit taking your 
antidepressants, <laughs> not saying that at all. But what we do know from ancient pagan practices and rituals that even seeped into the early church, what we do know is that when you, as a pagan worshiper, when you can't, when you can't, look, we have fun at church, amen? amen? But in the ancient world, if you went to church, you were having a really good time. Like, that was their entertainment, folks. No, no, not awesome. We're talking about pagan worship. Yeah, yeah. Not awesome. So when, when John the Revelator is talking about you need to stay away from sorcery, yes, the black arts, witchcraft, that kind of stuff, stay away from that stuff. But since it's linked to this Greek word pharmakos, it is directly implying that we need to stay away from hallucinogens. That is, that's specifically what it's talking about. Because in the ancient world, when you came in for your pagan worship, like, they gave you something to drink. They gave you some mushrooms to snack on. And you're having a really good time. When you expose yourself to hallucinogens on that level, you will open up spiritual portals the things you don't want to be dealing with. And bondage takes place because the spirit world is a real world. And I believe that, well, I know from experience, if I am dedicated to intercession and prayer and pushing into the presence of God, if I am fully submitted to his will and the moving of the Spirit. And if it is God's will, he will open up my minds, my mind into spiritual realities. Like I can see in the Spirit. I can sense in the Spirit. Sometimes it's just sense, and it's just, you know, leadings and, and impressions. But there's been times when it's been very, very real. It's like I can almost see it and touch it, right? It's hard to get to that spot spiritually. Spiritual maturity takes a lot of work. Can I say that again? Spiritual maturity takes a lot of work, dedication, patience. It takes a lot of uh, looking at yourself, making sure that you're not a train wreck. Spiritual maturity is a big deal. And the Lord's not going to open up spiritual doors for you unless you take care of your stuff. It's a hard road to see in the Spirit. Or you could just do it real fast and take hallucinogens. You could just take a shortcut, and then the devil will eat your lunch. So that's just fascinating to me. Uh, yeah, so arche uh, historically, archaeology, we know that pagan worship was using hallucinogens in their worship practices. I'm going to skip to the next point, but uh, the sexual uh, immoral people, remember that part? Uh, that one gets translated directly into male prostitution. Both male prostitutes and pimping, right? So it's both of them. So the Greek word addresses both of them. 
So it's not just sexual immorality in a general statement. It is prostitution. And specifically, again, you go to a pagan worship service, you're going for a good time. They got great music, not as good as Landon, but there's going to be some great music, there's going to be some drugs, and there's going to be your prostitutes. And we thought they invented sex, drugs, and rock and roll in the 60s. It's been going on for a very long time. So when John is writing this, he's saying, no, you need to come into spiritual growth and maturity from a sober mind. And you need to have your, you know, your, your faculties and your flesh under control. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And you don't, you, don't need, you don't take shortcuts in ecstasy. You don't take shortcuts in intimacy. Marriage is a sacred union. And you should not defile yourself with other impure things. So that's specifically what he's talking about. That was sermon number one. Sermon number two. Throughout Revelation, we see Jesus referred to as a lamb, as a lamb that was slain. That is one picture of Jesus that we see. The picture of Jesus that I like to imagine is only mentioned once, maybe twice, and that is the Jesus riding on the white horse with the crown and the robe and the sword that comes out of his mouth. Like, that's the one I like, because I like heavy metal music. That's the one I like. That's the one I want to identify with. I want to be that guy. I want to be, I want to be a warrior. And, and we are. But I need to highlight something very important. So that one only gets used every once in a while. But the one that gets used over and over and over again is the lamb that was slain. The pure, spotless lamb of God that was slain. Revelation 5. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering upon thousands and thousands and tens, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircle the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice said, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Why was, the, why was the lamb slain? Again, Jesus is the lamb, the spotless lamb that was slain. He was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. And while we were yet sinners, while there was anger towards God, while we were at war with God, the pure and spotless lamb chose to be slain for the forgiveness of our sins. This is an incredible illustration of loving those who hate you. Don't raise your hand, but I've been willing to guess there's been somebody in the room at one point in time that hated God. Don't raise your hand, everybody. 
That would be awkward. You know, and if you've ever been hurt or disappointed in the Lord, if you ever had unanswered prayer, and you might even have those types of emotions where you get angry at God, and if you weren't walking with the Lord, you might even have said things that I won't repeat in this house, but you might have said things towards God. And yet God still loved you. In your worst condition, God loved you and and sent his only son to die for you. Scriptures say that we are to love those who persecute us, that we are to turn the other cheek, that we are to, ready, no one likes this one. This is so un-American. It is so offensive. It is counterculture, but we are to die to ourselves. Scriptures are very clear. When we, when we begin to grow and develop spiritually, we must become more and more Christ-like. Now, you will never be a pure and spotless lamb, but when the Lord calls you in, into his kingdom, into his family. He wants you to become more Christ-like. This is going to sound a little grim and maybe negative, but it's not. But when he calls you in, he's calling you in to to kill you off. (laughs) To kill off your old self, that is. To kill off the fleshly person, the fleshly man. He wants you to die to yourself and to carry your own cross, to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. In our culture, we don't, we don't want to kill ourselves in that way. We want, we want to find ourselves, right? I'm just trying to find myself. I'm going to go into Barnes & Noble in the self-help section and go find myself. Jesus says, no, no, you, you, need, to, you need to lay your life down. I say it here quite often whenever, you know, whenever we're making an invitation to receive Christ. How do you get saved? Do you guys know how you get saved? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and then you shall be saved. Yeah, that is scriptural. Invite Jesus to live in your heart. That's a true statement. That's not necessarily word for word in the scripture. But dying to yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus is in the scripture. So people don't necessarily like this one because sometimes we like ourselves or we've made idols to ourselves and we don't, we don't want to, we don't really want to give over that kind of control. But he wants us to become more like him, more like the lamb that was slain for the world. I got to be honest, that's hard for me to do. It's really hard for me to do because I, like, I want to, I don't necessarily want to serve the, the, the world. I want to fight the world, right? I want to fight the man. But Jesus died for the world. And he loves the world. And he loves the church. So we really have to become more and more Christ-like. Like, what would he do? Um, like, I want, to, I want to dispense the judgment of God. 
that's not my job. I want to do it, but it's not my job. Only, there's only one person that's going to dispense the justice of God, and that's Jesus. He's the only one that's allowed to judge. I guess we can judge angels, but no, it's his job. It's not our job. Our job is to become more and more like the Christ of the Gospels. Amen? All right. And another theme. Okay, that was sermon number two. <laughs> I know, right? I'm getting through them. It's happening. Sermon number three. Throughout the scriptures in Revelation and even in the New Testament, we see persecution taking place. Yeah? Right out of the gates. I mean, we know that Jesus was crucified for what he was teaching and preaching. We know that his disciples were persecuted. Stephen was the first martyr. We know that they had to flee Jerusalem because there was so much persecution. Now, that seemed like a negative thing, I'm sure, for them because Jerusalem is the holy city. But if there was not that tension, then the gospel message probably wouldn't have spread throughout the whole world. Like They probably just would have been very comfortable singing Kumbaya in Jerusalem if they weren't persecuted. They wouldn't have moved. But so there, was some, there was pressure, there was tension. They, they were, in, in a way, God was forcing them to move and to leave Jerusalem, to leave Judea, and to go out into all the world. That's what a little bit of pressure will do. So if you find yourself under a little bit of pressure, under a little bit of persecution, it might be a good thing. It might be stretching you a little bit. In Revelation, we see the martyr of the saints, and it's a little scary. It's like, oh my gosh, like, do we really, we really have to go through this? Maybe. Are we in the end times right now? It looks like it. How do you feel about being persecuted for your faith these days? We have, and we always, the church has always had some level of persecution. And in the culture wars, we're experiencing persecution now. It's very low grade. Like, honestly, it's not worth complaining about. Right? Like, it's not. We got way more, we have too many more positive things to focus on than all the negative things that the world is throwing at us. What you resist will persist. So all of these negative things with the, with the world and society and culture is throwing at the church, all of these attacks, the more we try to resist it, the more it's going to feed the machine. Like they like it. They like the negative news. So we need to focus on the good things of God rather than all the persecution. But it's going to take place. So how do you feel about it? You're like, yeah, I don't know about this Christianity thing. Maybe I'll peace out. Some will. Revelation says that too. In the, in the end times, uh, the hearts of men will grow cold and even some of the elect will be deceived. I don't have time to get into who are the elect. It's basically just me. Nah, no. You guys are not the elect. I'm, I'm the super special one. Um, <laughs> hey now. So even the elect will fall away. Like even those that are faithful will, are going to get disillusioned and deceived. And, like, and frankly, we, we see, we're seeing that now, too. Landon, uh, what year did you start working for us? Okay, but I had you on stage in 2019. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. 
So Landon, he started with us in December, maybe even November of 2019. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was hunting for a worship pastor, and a friend connected us, said that he was an anointed worship leader, mm-hmm. and his name is Landon Spranlin. <laughs> I call him Landon Spranlin because it rhymes. <laughs> and so I Google Landon Spranlin, and like this old blues rocker comes up on Google, and I'm like, I'm like Cheryl, I mean, he's really great, but I don't want to hire this old guy. And she's like, no, he's really good. You need to meet him. I'm like, all right. And so I meet, I go to an event, and I get introduced, not to the old blues guy from the South. I get, in, I get introduced to his son. Landon Spranlin, uh, the fourth, right? Esquire, yeah. Landon's dad, an incredible blues musician, street evangelist. It's probably hard to even calculate how many lives that this man affected. It's hard to, to know how many times he stopped. He was a master at street evangelism, like almost like the street was his church. It was hard to understand like how many people that he would just stop and prophesy over and pray healing for, and then they would be changed. Like, like only heaven knows and can calculate the impact that Spranlin Jr. had. Or Spranlin the third. And so I'm like, oh, it's his son. He's great. At the time, Landon had a baby blue sweater vest on and a bow tie. I have no idea why you were wearing that. I'm like, he's a great musician, but man, his wardrobe. And then COVID hit, and there was so much confusion during COVID. Like, we didn't know which way was up. We didn't know what was false or what was true. Still don't. But what happened in our church family is that Landon's dad was one of the first to die of COVID. And our church family rallied around him, and we took a conservative approach to the COVID thing. We shut church down. I did church in my living room way too long. We mandated masks. We did everything that we could do to protect the church, what we thought that was right. And some of us with different opinions laid those opinions aside because we had church family that was affected directly by the pandemic. Like when, when a church family member dies, do you try to bring up your opinion and old grudges? Right? That's not what church family does. So obviously it was hard for Landon to lose his dad to COVID right out of the gate. But since his dad was such a public figure, 
the media raked him over the coals. It was persecution. They, they, they deemed it worthy to make an example of him and, and to hurt a family. Like, like, frankly, it was just disgusting that they would, they would hurt a family that was grieving so that they could get some, you know, clay, big clay or whatever, you know, clicks or whatever, some likes or dislikes or to, to, to fuel the flame of the controversy. I mean, that's just, like, who does that? Like, who kicks a family while they're grieving? The devil does. So, the reason why I bring that up is because we know that persecution is real. That type of persecution. It's mean, it's little, it's nasty, and it's there. And you might have to face something like that in the future. You know you're under persecution when confusion comes in. You know you're under persecution when you're questioning your calling. Yeah? Amen. Like if you're questioning even your faith, if you're questioning if you even believe in God anymore, uh, guess what? You're, you're under persecution. You're, in, you're engaged in spiritual warfare, and the battle is taking place in your mind. That was sermon number three. And I've got, I've got time left on the clock. There we go. I know. It's a miracle, isn't it? All right. Landon, if I could have you guys come on up, and I'll try and bring them all together. And the, the, way, the only way that I can do that is go to the middle message. And that moving forward and moving into this year, it will require more from you spiritually than you have ever given in your entire life. The system of the world, you ready for this? The system of this present age Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Let's do it. The system of this present evil age is akin to sorcery because it deals in power and manipulation and control. I'm not going to name any governments or any parties or any corporations or any spouses. But the principality of the air, the evil one, his strategy is control, manipulation, power, suppression, uh, uh, poverty. That's how he rules his kingdom. And so, when you are watching the news, I would say, ask the question, Lord, is this sorcery? Is this a drug? Right? Pharmacos? 
Like, are they, are they, are they poisoning my mind with a drug? Like we have to ask these questions. We have to be sober-minded about what's going on around us, and we need to be sober-minded about our faith. We need to say, okay, i got to get rid of all the grumpy, negative, stinking, thinking, complaining attitudes, and I need to allow the fresh living water to flow within me and actually cleanse my mind so I can think and act straight. I need to become more lamb-like, and I know nobody wants to become more lamb-like, but we need to become more lamb-like, the lamb that was slain. Are you willing and able to die to yourself? to lay yourself aside, to serve others. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. Can you apply that scripture to yourself? For I so love the world that I gave of myself so that it won't perish, but it will have everlasting life. I'm not saying that you're going to be Jesus, but you need to be more like him. And then last year was probably a hard year for most. It might get harder. It might get better. We don't know. Some, a lot of us, a lot of you during this hard season have buckled down and have gotten closer to Jesus. Good job. Good job. A lot of you have gotten very relational with Jesus during this time. And I know a lot of you have lost your jobs. A lot of you have lost income. A lot of you have lost family. And you still, you're still in love with Jesus, and you want to get to know him better. And we're going to do that right now. But probably, honestly, the next step will be an upgrade in our low-level persecution. We might be experiencing persecution. It's going to be a little more tense and a little more pointed towards the Christian communities. So let's combat that. Amen? So when you feel persecuted, know that he has brought you through hard times once, and he will do it again. Amen? Amen. This is the lamb that was slain. This is the spotless lamb that was slain. It is his body that was broken for us, provisioned, provided for us. This is the manna that came down from heaven. So if you're going through a hard time, know that in his body, in the Lamb of God, is everything that you need that will sustain you. This is all you need. Receive the body of Christ for your provision. The blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. I love in Revelation 21 where it says, wipes away every tear as if it never existed. This cup wipes away your tears as if they never existed. It also wipes away your sin as if it never existed. In fact, when we're done drinking this cup, the Lord does not see your sin anymore. So let's uh, quit reminding ourselves of it. Amen. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Thank you, Lord. If I could have the ushers come to the front.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you are doing in this church, making it stronger, more dedicated to you, making space so that you can move freely. Father, we dedicate our lives to you this morning. May we never get away from the family relationship that you have set up. May we never get religious. May you always be our Abba Father. Jesus, may you always be our Lord and Savior, friend and brother. Jesus, we want to talk to you naturally this year one-on-one, face-to-face. And Holy Spirit, run through this space like a locomotive this year. God bless you as you give back to the Lord. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want for me. So take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. To yours, to yours, O Lord. To yours, to yours, O Lord. To yours, to yours, O oh Lord. Lana, thank you very much. It's been an honor serving with you. God bless you guys. Have a great week.